0: This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. THE Servile STATE by Hilaire Belloc. Section 16. If working men are concerned in the other professional classes, if I contract to write for a publisher, a complete history of the county of Rutland, and the pursuit of the task, while examining some object of historical interest, fall down a pit, I should not be able to recover against the publisher. But if I dress in mean clothes, and the same publisher, deceived, gives me a month's work at cleaning out his ornamental water, and I am wounded in that occupation by a fierce fish, he will be mulcted to my advantage, and that roundly. They fall roughly into three categories, 1. Measures by which the insecurity of the proletariat shall be relieved, through the action of the employing class, or of the proletariat itself acting under compulsion. 2. Measures by which the employer shall be compelled to give not less than a certain minimum for any labor he may purchase. and 3. Measures which compel a man lacking the means of production to labor, though he may have made no contract to that effect. The last two as will be seen in a moment are the complementary one of another as to the first measures to palliate the insecurity of the proletariat we have this an example in actual law at the moment and that law is the insurance act whose political source and motive I am not here discussing it follows in every particular the lines of a servile state its fundamental criterion is employment in other words i am compelled to enter a scheme providing me against the mischances of illness and unemployment not because i am a citizen but only if i am exchanging services for goods and either obtaining less than a certain amount of goods for those services or a vulgar fellow working with his hands the law carefully excludes from its provisions those forms of labor to which the educated and therefore powerful classes a resubject and further excludes from the compulsion of the masses of those who are the moment earning enough to make them a class to be reckoned with as economically free i may be a writer of books who should he fall ill will leave in the greatest distress the family which he supports if the legislator were concerned for the morals of citizens i should most undoubtedly come under this law under the form of a compulsory insurance added to my income tax but the legislator is not concerned with people of my sort he is concerned with a new status which he recognizes in the state to wit the proletariat he envisions the proletariat not quite accurately as men either poor or if they are not poor at any rate vulgar people working with their hands and he legislates accordingly Still more striking, as an example of status, taking the place of contract, is the fact that this law puts the duty of controlling the proletariat, and of seeing that the law is obeyed, not upon the proletariat itself, but upon the capitalist class. Now this point is of an importance that cannot be exaggerated. The future historian, whatever his interest in the first indications of that profound revolution through which we are so rapidly passing, we will most certainly fix upon that one point as the cardinal landmark of our times. The legislator, surveying the capitalist state, proposes as a remedy for certain of its evil the establishment of two categories in the state, compels the lower man to registration, to a tax, and the rest of it, and further compels the upper man to be the instrument in enforcing that registration and in collecting that tax. No one acquainted with the way in which any one of the great changes of the past has taken place, the substitution of tenure for the Roman proprietary right in land, or the substitution of the medieval peasant for the serf at the Dark Ages, can possibly misunderstand the significance of such a turning point in our history. Whether it will be completed, or whether a reaction will destroy it, is another matter. Its mere proposal is one of the greatest possible moments in the inquiry we are here pursuing of the next two groups the fixing of a minimum wage and the compulsion to labor which as i have said and will shortly show are complementary one to the other neither has yet appeared in actual legislation but both are planned both thought out both possessed of powerful advocates and both upon the threshold of positive law the fixing of a minimum wage with a definite sum fixed by statute has not yet entered our laws. But the first step towards such a consummation has been taken in the shape of giving legal sanction to some hypothetical minimum wage, which shall be arrived at after discussion within a particular trade. That trade is, of course, the mining industry. The law does not say, no capitalist shall pay a miner less than so many shillings for so many hours' work. But it does say, figures having been arrived at by local boards, ANY MINER WORKING WITHIN THE AREA OF EACH BOARD CAN CLAIM BY FORCE OF LAW THE MINIMUM SUM ESTABLISHED BY SUCH BOARDS. IT IS EVIDENT THAT FROM THIS STEP TO THE NEXT STEP, WHICH SHALL DEFINE SOME SLIDING SCALE OF remuneration FOR LABOR, ACCORDING TO PRICES AND THE PROFITS OF CAPITAL, IS AN EASY AND NATURAL TRANSITION. IT WOULD GIVE BOTH PARTIES WHAT EACH IMMEDIATELY REQUIRES. TO CAPITAL A GUARANTEE AGAINST DISTURBANCE. To labor sufficiency and security the whole thing is an excellent object lesson in little of that general movement from free contract to status and from the capitalist to servile state which is the tide of our time the neglect of older principles as abstract and doctrinaire and immediate need of both parties immediately satisfied The unforeseen but necessary consequence of satisfying such needs in such a fashion as these, which are apparent in the settlement the mining industry has begun, are the typical forces producing the servile state. The proletarian accepts a position in which he produces for the capitalist a certain total of economic value, and retains out of that total a portion only, leaving to the capitalist all surplus value the capitalist on his side is guaranteed in the secure and permanent expectation of that surplus value through all the perils of social envy the proletarian is guaranteed in a sufficiency and a security for that sufficiency but by the very action of such a guaranteeing there is withdrawn from him the power to refuse his labor and thus to aim at putting himself in possession of the means of production such schemes definitely divide citizens into two classes, the capitalist and the proletarian. They make it impossible for the second to combat the privileged position of the first. They introduce into the positive laws of the community a recognition of social facts which already divide Englishmen into two groups of economically more free and economically less free, and they stamp with the authority of the state a new constitution of society, society is recognized as no longer consisting of free men bargaining freely for their labor or any other commodity in their possession but of two contrasting status owners and non-owners the first must not be allowed to leave the second without subsistence the second must not be allowed to obtain that grip upon the means of production which is the privilege of the first it is true that this first experiment is small in degree and tentative in quality but to judge the movement as a general whole, we must not only consider the expression it has actually received so far in positive law, but the mood of our time. When this first experiment in a minimum wage was being debated in Parliament, what was the great issue of debate? Upon what did those who were the most ardent reformers particularly insist? Not that the miners should have an avenue open to them for obtaining possession of the mines, Not even that the state should have an avenue open to it for obtaining possession, but that the minimum wage should be fixed at a certain satisfactory level. That, as our recent experience testifies for all of us, was the crux of the quarrel, and that such a point should be the crux, not the socialism of the minds nor the admission of the proletariat to the means of production, but only a sufficiency and a security of wage, is amply significant of the perhaps irresistible forces which are making in the direction for which i argue in this book there was here no attempt of the capitalist to impose servile conditions nor of the proletarian to resist them both parties were agreed upon that fundamental change the discussion turned upon the minimum limit of subsistence to be securely provided a point which left aside because it took for granted the establishment of some minimum in any case Next. Let it be noted, for it is a moment to a latter part of my argument, that experiments of this sort promise to extend piecemeal. There is no likelihood, judging by men's actions and speech, of some grand general scheme for the establishment of a minimum wage throughout the community. Such a scheme would, of course, be as truly an establishment of the servile state as piecemeal schemes. But as we shall see in a moment, the extension of the principle piecemeal has a considerable effect upon the forms which compulsion may take the miner's refusal to work with the exaggerated panic it caused bred this first tentative appearance of the minimum wage in our laws normally capital prefers free labor with its margin of destitution for such an anarchy ephemeral though it is of its nature while at last provides cheap labor from the narrowest point of view it provides in the still competitive areas of capitalism a better chance for profits but as one group of workmen after another concerned with trades immediately necessary to the life of the nation and therefore tolerating but little interruption learn the power which combination gives them it is inevitable that the legislator concentrated as he is upon momentary remedies for difficulties as they arise should propose for one such trade after another the remedy of a minimum wage. There can be little doubt that, trade by trade, the principle will extend. For instance, the two and a half millions now guaranteed against unemployment are guaranteed against it for a certain weekly sum. That weekly sum must bear some relation to their estimated earnings when they are in employment. It is a short step from the calculation of unemployment benefit, its being fixed by statute at a certain level, and that level determined by something which is regarded as the just remuneration of labour in that trade. It is a short step, I say, from that to a statutory fixing of the sums paid during employment. The State says to the serf, I saw to it that you should have so much when you are unemployed. I find that in some rare cases my arrangement leads to your getting more when you are unemployed than when you are employed. I further find that in many cases, though you get more when you are employed, yet the difference is not sufficient to tempt a lazy man to work, or to make him take any particular trouble to get work. I am a see to this. The provision of a fixed schedule during unemployment thus inevitably leads to the examination, the defining, and at last the imposition of a minimum wage during employment and every compulsory provision for unemployment benefits is the seed of a minimum wage. Of still greater effect is the mere presence of state regulation in such a matter. The fact that the state has begun to gather statistics of wages over these large areas of industry, and to do so not for mere statistical object, but a practical one, and the fact that the state has begun to mix the action of positive law and the constraint with the older system of free bargaining means that the whole weight of its influence is now in favor of regulation it is no rash prophecy to assert that in the near future our industrial society will see a gradually extending area of industry in which from two sides the fixing of wages by statute shall appear from one side it will come in the form of the state examining the conditions of labor in connection with its own scheme for establishing sufficiency and security by insurance From the other side it will come through the reasonable proposals to make contracts between groups of labor and groups of capital enforceable in the courts so much then for the principle of minimum wage it has already appeared in our laws it is certain to spread but how does the presence of this introduction of a minimum form part of the advance towards a servile state i have said that the principle of a minimum wage involves as its converse the principle of compulsory labor indeed most of the importance which the principle of a minimum wage has for this inquiry lies in that converse necessity of compulsory labor which it involves but as the connection between the two may not be clear at first sight we must do more than take it for granted we must establish it by a process of reason There are two distinct forms in which the whole policy of enforcing security and sufficiency by law for the proletariat produces a corresponding policy of compulsory labor. The first of these forms is the compulsion which the courts will exercise upon either of the parties concerned in the giving and the receiving of the minimum wage. The second form is the necessity under which society will find itself when, once the principle of the minimum wage is conceded, coupled with the principles of sufficiency and security to maintain those whom the minimum wage excludes from the area of normal employment the end of section 16